You're listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a discussion about living and loving like Jesus in the midst of a post-Christian culture. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Welcome to Babylon podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Hey, Keith, I hope you've had a great week so far. Man, it's been great, been really, really great, Uh, but you know... Who's not doing too great these days? Let's not even go there, man. Tom Brady, man. Oh. What is going on with TB12? I, I kind of feel bad for him um, this year uh, so far. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, man? I know you've watched a lot of Bucks games. Hey, man, I don't want to even go down that road because we will be here forever. Uh, <laughs> the Trail of Tears down at Tampa right now is long and wide. But uh, you know what? Just the fact is that, uh, I mean, they have so much potential that at any given week they could turn this literally turn this thing around. So I have that hope. That that is true. Uh, it's still a long season to go, and we will see if the Bucks and Tom Brady can can make a stand here in the second half of the season. Um, well, speaking of taking a stand, we're going to be discussing the message this week: taking a stand in Babylon. Man, what a great message about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to take a stand in the face of what was pretty much a death sentence, right? So um, up to this point, you know, they had been in Babylon for some time. You touched on that. Um, And surely, we have to imagine there have been times where their faith was tested, but now they're in a position where they pretty much have to draw the line and say, no more. We're We're not compromising. And they pretty much had a death sentence, or, or so they thought. Um, and so as believers today, Phil, how do we know where to draw the line? How much is too much when it comes to compromising with the culture? When do we take a stand, or does that look different for different folks? Great questions, Keith, and uh, very relevant for our day and age uh, in which we live. So what I said in the message was that there's really two criteria or two categories there the first of which is the clear biblical teaching. I mean, the Bible is so crystal clear on so many things, and that's really where we start. Uh, You know, okay, don't look at pornography, or don't get drunk, or whatever. I mean, clearly those are things that, I mean, we're not going to compromise on because there's no wiggle room whatsoever in the Scripture. But then at the same time, there's people like myself and you and others who will develop personal convictions based on Scripture. It may not be something that's explicitly crystal clear in the Bible, but it's a conviction that we have that that the Lord has spoken to us about that's based on Scripture. All right? Something as simple, and this is, I I don't want to come across as some raging legalist here, okay? Because I would never tell other people they have to do this, but I heard a long time ago that you should never use your Bible as a coaster, Hmm. right? Like, oh, here's my Bible. I'm going to set my coffee cup down on top of my Bible. Now, where in the Bible does it say, "Don't you know, thou shalt not use your Bible as a coaster? It doesn't say that. But the fact is, for me, I've got a very high view of the Scripture. And I just don't feel comfortable placing anything on top of a Bible, specifically if, if, if I'm using it as just some random object like a coaster, okay? Um, maybe something a little more, uh, you know, every day would be, you know, I've, I'm feeling convicted that I should not watch this particular movie, Okay. Now, again, there's some movies that I think we would all agree we should stay away from, 
But then there's a lot of gray area there. You know, there's there, there's a lot of room between a, a G-rated movie and you know some some trashy R-rated movie, right? And so I'm I'm going to have some convictions about that, but I'm not necessarily going to expect everyone else to fall in line with my convictions. Or as Pastor Chuck Swindoll has often said, legalism is in essence saying my list, your life. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and, and thank you for making that distinction. Uh, that that's really helpful. Um, and obviously, in, in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, there was a very clear biblical uh, teaching of the scriptures where they were being told that they had to worship this idol. God clearly said, "Do not do that." Um, and so it was very clear in the scriptures that you know uh, what the right choice was. Um, and you know, one of my favorite things about that account is their response and the statement that they make to King Nebuchadnezzar when they basically say, hey, we know that our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow to your idol. Man, Phil, that, that fires me up, and I want to have that kind of faith that says, hey, even if what I hope happens doesn't happen, I'm still going to do um, the right thing. Um, but how do we get that kind of faith? Does that just happen um, or in the moment, or is that something that we can develop over time? Where do we start as believers to develop that even-if kind of faith? Well, I love that part as well, and, and that has been very relevant in my life over the years when I've kind of hit some make-or-break moments, and I've had to say the same thing. Well, even if God does not bring things about the way I want to, I'm still going to be faithful to Him. I will tell you, and I know this sounds just so, uh, just so typical, uh, so predictable, but you got to saturate your life in the Word of God. I mean, you you absolutely have to saturate your life in the Word of God if you're going to have that kind of conviction and that kind of resolve. Psalm 119, verse nine. We've heard it all our lives, and yet these are the moments when it becomes so true. How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Right. So there, there is an emphasis on the word. Beyond that, I would say the people that I have known over the years with this rock-ribbed uh, steadfastness tend to be people who surround themselves with other like-minded people. You've got to be around people who have the same strong convictions. Uh, you know, if we're not discerning in terms of the type of people that we spend time with, we're probably not going to have that type of uh, that that type of steadfast faith when the moment comes. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I've, I've not really thought about the fact that, you know, there were three of them there. Um, you know, obviously, I don't know how things would have gone if there were just one. Um, you know, the, the Bible says that a cord of three is not easily broken, right? Um, maybe they did find strength in numbers uh, there and encouraged one another. That's, that's a really good thought. So you mentioned, Phil, that this decree by King Nebuchadnezzar that the people were to worship the idol, that that was actually fueled by demonic forces. And you said that in, in the same way, a lot of the darkness in our culture today is spiritual warfare, um, and there are dark forces working behind the scenes in that. Now, some folks may hear that, and they may have oh, the great Bobby Boucher <laughs> pop into their minds, and everything's the devil to you, mama. Right. Uh, so, but that's not what we're saying, right? We're not saying that it's always the devil's fault every time I stub my toe, right? Well, what, what are we talking about there? Yeah. So, we got to get some of that high quality H2O, that's right? That's right. That's right. So, first of all, I am definitely not the kind of person that sees a demon behind every rock, right? I mean, there's that, that, that is a part of our theological 
a tradition, but we, I mean, certainly that's not the be-all, end-all. Now, the Bible is very clear. Uh, we face what, what I would describe in modern terms is an axis of evil, right? But, but, but instead of Iran, North Korea, and whatever, Iraq, I mean, the axis of evil in, in the Bible is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And those are definitely entities that, that transcend what we can see and touch and experience here on the earth. I mentioned some categories, godless politicians, Hollywood in the media, drugs, pornography, other things to which we can become addicted. Okay, Those are all basically tools in the hands of the devil and the world and the flesh. I absolutely believe that. You know, in some of the scriptures we shared, you know, from Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6, uh, the one that, that, that equates uh, idolatry uh, and with demon worship is actually Deuteronomy 32, 17, which is what we shared in the message. But uh, but all that to say, I, I'm absolutely convinced that there is a there is a darker, deeper dimension out there than what we can simply see and experience. Yeah, uh, and to me that that just says that we we have to take uh, this spiritual warfare seriously, right? We we can't just lackadaisically go through life. We have to recognize that we're in a battle um, and and be very intentional in how we're fighting uh, each and every day. Uh, so thanks for that, Phil. Now, you mentioned some very practical things that we can do to take a stand in Babylon, and one of those was by using our financial leverage um, as we're making decisions on where and how we're spending our money. And you talk specifically about you know, this idea of boycotting certain companies where we feel led by the Lord to do so uh, for one reason or another. Um, admittedly, this is a pretty controversial topic, and I've, I've talked to people on both sides of the aisle, even some people in my family, uh, some who who would want to boycott, you know, every little decision that's made by a company, and, and others who say it doesn't really matter. I'm going to spend my money how I want to spend it, um, and, and you know what a company believes or, or promotes doesn't really matter. Um, so, how do we make those decisions, Phil? And and when we do, um, what should our attitude be towards others? Now, even other Christians who don't share those same convictions. If I come in here next week with my NFL stuff and a Starbucks drink in my hand, are, are you going to kick me off the podcast? Like, well, as long as you're wearing a Tom Brady jersey, Keith, you have a job at Crossgate Church. Don't that's be wearing right. any of that Titans trash around here, that, though. That's right. Well, I, I don't know about that. We'll we'll have to pray about that and see see what happens. But okay, well, let, let's think about this, man. Go back to the categories we talked about at the beginning of the podcast: crystal clear teaching of Scripture, and then personal convictions as well. I think in the message I, I said, half tongue-in-cheek, half seriously, yes, we should boycott prostitutes and drug dealers, right? I mean, yes, we all agree on that. But the fact is, we're not always going to agree on every little detail. And at the end of the day, that's okay. So think about boycotts. Boycotts are not always wrong, but they are seldom effective, okay? I mean, when we talk about boycotting, we, we're saying that we hope to get enough collective agreement on this boycott that we can bring this company to its knees financially and get it to change its ways, right? And, and maybe reverse a policy decision or, or what have you. Well, truth be told, that probably is not going to happen. Okay, case in point, this is like the most famous one. We might as well go there. Mid-1990s Southern Baptist Convention, which of course is the denomination with which we associate and affiliate at Crossgate Church. Solid Bible teaching, Bible believing, evangelistic, all the rest, great denominational uh, effort. Uh, but all that to say, they, they collectively said, look, we're going to boycott Disney. 
Oh, boy. And, uh, yeah, you're going to boycott Disney. Boy, you ain't going to Disney World after the Super Bowl, right? Well, what do you do with that? I mean, okay, a couple things. Again, I think just because, you know, Disney is so pervasive in our culture, it's a great example. On the one hand, uh, you could certainly, if that's your personal conviction, absolutely go for it. If you truly feel like God is convicting you about that, then then withhold your funds. Don't go to Disney. Don't watch Disney movies. But the other thing to think about is Disney, because they are so pervasive, oh, well, now you got to boycott ABC, you got to boycott ESPN, you got, it's kind of like we said on Sunday morning, you're eventually going to boycott your way back to Little House on the Prairie. I mean, in terms of just like completely going off the grid because so many things are interconnected now, right? So you just, you need to be consistent. Something else to think about is a, a friend of mine who is a, just one of our great elder statesmen in the church, a guy by the, the name of Pastor Jim Henry, who for many years was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. Uh, he had thousands of people at his church employed at Disney. I mean, good, solid Christian people. He said, I'm not going to boycott Disney. I've got thousands of my church members that work there, and that is their mission field. I mean, they are, they are out and about living, living for Jesus in the midst of that, of that setting. We're not going to just boycott that and, 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 and you know, demonize all these people that work there along with it and everything else. So there's several things to think about when it comes to boycotting. Again, if, if someone has a personal conviction, man, I, I say go for it. I wish we had more people that had stronger discerning convictions about things, okay? But at the same time, I realize that, as I said a minute ago, boycotts are not always wrong, but they're seldom effective, at least in terms of accomplishing the financial uh, you know, goals that, that we might set out to have. Now, when someone disagrees with me, okay, for example, let's say I personally am against going to Disney, and I've told my family, family, we love going to Disney, we love watching Disney, we love all this stuff, right? And I mean, I, I grew up 45 minutes from Disney, so I've been there a lot over the years. Right? But let's say we just say God has said, and, and we feel like God does not want us to patronize Disney in any way. Okay, great, personal conviction. Now what if I see other people at my church going to Disney, social media, mouse ears, the works, and they're like, woohoo, we love Disney. I mean, am I going to let that affect my fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? I hope not, right? So I, again, man, we could spend hours on this, but I just, I really feel like this is a... Um, this is something we got to think and pray about. Yeah, definitely. And it really boils down to, like you said, the personal conviction in doing what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do, but also giving our brothers and sisters the grace to do that as well. Yeah, and one of the things we said in the message, Keith, was I like Daniel because Daniel reminds us that we don't have to die on every mountain. Yeah. You know, there, there, are, there are some brothers and sisters in Christ, probably a little more legalistic than I am, who would have us to believe that we must be ready to die on every hill. And that's just not healthy, man. That's That, that ultimately ends up to be joy-robbing legalism. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, well, we certainly want to be wise in how we use our financial resources. We want to honor God in that. But you also mentioned using our political leverage to take a stand. And I'm really glad that you spent some time talking about the importance of voting as we have, you know, midterm elections coming up. Um, and you talked about how we should use our vote to honor God. Now, Phil, some may say you shouldn't be talking about politics in church. They may even pull out the old separation of church and state. Um, so what would you say to those folks that say it's just not appropriate to talk about politics in a church setting? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd say Romans chapter 13 says that God ordained the government. And if God ordained the government, why in the world would he tell his people to stay out of it, right? 
I mean, I think obviously based on the entire message, we realize we have to have a balanced perspective on this. You know, our salvation is not going to come through the ballot box. You know, God is not going to route revival through Washington. You can't vote your way into the kingdom. I mean, we, we pointed that out already. I think in terms of separation of church and state, you know, I would tell you rightly understood, I am one of the biggest proponents of separation of church and state. You know, I would be just as afraid of a Baptist pope as I would be of a Catholic pope in terms of, you know, a, a, a single religious leader or a, or a particular religious sect uh, running the government, right? I mean, that's, as a matter of fact, I mean, yes, I'm, I'm a Baptist. My, my, my Baptist heritage, having come to Christ in a Baptist church, I mean, Baptists have always been champions of separation of church and state. Rightly understood, but let's, let's keep this in mind that the, that the framers of our Constitution, while they were not all orthodox evangelical Christians, I'm willing to give you that. I mean, many of them were, were heretical Unitarians, right? But nevertheless, the vast majority of the founders of our nation did believe that unless the Constitution and our government was functioning within a broader uh, religious ethical framework specifically, and yes, it's okay to use the phrase the Judeo-Christian ethical framework, okay? Many of those founders readily admitted that it would not succeed if it did not exist in that type of ethical framework, even though they did not embed you know, tons of explicit religious language in the documents themselves. Honestly, they probably would have thought that over if they saw the direction our country would have gone 200 years later. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, we've opened that door, so we might as well walk through it, right? And so <laughs> I've got a question for you um, that I'm sure a lot of our folks may have wrestled with at some point. And, you know, there have been times when, as a Christian voter, I personally have felt like I'm being asked to choose between, quote-unquote, the lesser of two evils uh, when it comes to my vote, right? So specifically feeling that, you know, maybe if I vote for this candidate, I'm endorsing them as a person, um, which includes their social or moral shortcomings. But because of our party system, it's almost like a vote for anyone other than the big two is just a wasted vote. Um, but so what do you think about this? If I vote for a candidate um, whose behavior doesn't line up with scriptures, can I, can I do that? Should I do that as a Christian? Um, am I going against the scriptures by doing that? Or is there a bigger picture here? Well, first of all, yes, we got to figure out what our options are, right? So option one is I'm just going to abstain and not vote at all. I already addressed this in the message. I think that is unacceptable for an American citizen to, to completely abstain from the voting process. Uh, you know, in street language, I would say that anyone who says I'm not going to vote is a pretty sorry steward of the freedoms and, and, the, and the, the national treasure that God has given us in our right to participate in, in the political process. I, I don't have a problem with, with ultimately casting a vote for, for a politician who represents me. Remember, these people are simply representatives of the people, right? If, if this guy's worldview uh, most aligns, not perfectly, but most aligns with, with what I think this is the mo most important worldview over and against the other candidate, I have no problem casting the vote. And if that person is not like a an orthodox, you know, creedal Christian of, 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 of the best biblical, um, you know, fiber, that's, I mean, I, I, can, I can live with that. I mean, I was just thinking as you were reading that question, uh, in, in the Bible, uh, in Isaiah 45, 1, uh, this, it says this, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, a pagan king. He was not a Jew. I mean, he was not even, even remotely 
connected with, uh, you know, with, with, with the faith of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he says, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor. So, you know, here's God using this pagan king to bring his people back to Jerusalem. So God could very easily use someone who is not of my like faith and order uh, to accomplish something on this earth. So, so I, I don't have a problem casting a vote for someone who is not, you know, perfect. I mean, if I'm waiting for the perfect politician, it's going to, you know, we're all going to get really old around here yeah. waiting for the perfect politician. So I think that's important. But I think the key thing is, as we, as we share that John MacArthur quote uh, about the 2016 election, and I'm just going to, I'm going to read it again for our, for our listeners. Uh, John MacArthur talking about the 2016 election, and of course what he does is he shows his hand in, in this quote that he did indeed vote for Donald Trump, although he was at best a reluctant Donald Trump supporter, as, as were many of Donald Trump supporters. Check it out. I didn't vote for Donald Trump per se. I voted for a worldview. I voted for an ideology that's closer to scripture regarding personal responsibility and industry. It has a place for God. It understands the importance of the traditional family for cultural stability. It understands that the role of government is primarily to carry a sword to punish evildoers and to protect those who do well, not to arrest those drinking from a plastic straw. I've got to use what little contribution I can make to see a culture that, while we're going down the drain, enjoys some of the vestiges of common grace. Because I'm looking in the faces of my grandkids and wondering what kind of world I'm going to leave them. Look, this isn't about Donald Trump. This is about a massive, massive worldview issue. Trump and Clinton are merely figureheads. The candidate is merely the public relations agent for the broad worldview coalition behind them. Mm. So I'm going to vote my Christian biblical worldview. That's what I'm going to vote. And I do believe in every election, no matter where I live, whether it's you know New York, California, Florida, Arkansas, I'm going to find somebody on that ballot who better aligns with my worldview than the other candidates. Yeah, that's really good. Um, the worldview is huge, and I love that quote. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, we are we're about out of time for today, but before we go, I want to touch on the final point from the message, and that was this idea that the best way that we can take a stand in Babylon is through our witness. So it is truly in the darkest spaces where the light is needed most. So Phil, what can we do to start to turn on some lights in the midst of this darkness? And yes, take a stand, but do it in a way that shows the love of Christ. Yeah, first of all, man, you got to make sure you're saved yourself, you know, and I don't want to make an assumption about the spiritual condition of our listeners, you know, and I would speak directly to our listeners. Friend, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you trusted Jesus for your salvation? Uh, do you know with absolute certainty that if your life ended today, that you would be in heaven with Christ? Uh, if not, then that's your first step, is to trust Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and say, Jesus, I do believe you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you rose again physically and bodily uh, from the grave. And uh, Lord Jesus, I want to receive that free gift of eternal life right now. So that's the first step. Beyond that, I think a witness uh, consists of a life lived in the Spirit of God, holiness, uh, shining that light for others, but also being very proactive to take every opportunity and to make every opportunity, as simple as inviting someone to come to your church and, and come and see. I mean, that's exactly the, the witness that the early disciples said, just come and see. That's good stuff, and we are out of time for today. Phil, thank you so much. I always love this time together, and looking forward to next week. Thanks, Keith. God bless, brother. Take care.
Thank you for listening to the Welcome to Babylon podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, visit us on our website, crossgate.org, or on all of our social media channels.